And another deep fly ball. Castellanos deep left center. Pilar back. And he made the catch. Kevin Pilar. You had no a lot. You had a lot of people saying no. Like, you're not good enough. You're, you're not good enough to go to these colleges. You're not good enough to be drafted here. That's why baseball is such a great game because there is so many parallels to life. And, you know, just because I want a fastball doesn't mean I'm going to get a fastball. Just because I wanted to play at UCLA doesn't mean it was going to happen. Sometimes, you know, we get curveballs thrown in, in our life, and, you know, sometimes you strike out, sometimes you don't. So why is it that the beast so damn You know, I had this FU chip on my shoulder mentality that got me to the big leagues and kept me into the big leagues. It's almost stay ready when it when it shows up. Don't miss your opportunity. Welcome to the Toughness Podcast. My name is Patty Steinfort, your host, and today we're joined by one of the most interesting stories, I think, in Major League Baseball. And I might be a little bit biased because I worked with Kevin Pillar at uh, the Toronto Blue Jays when I was a part of that squad there, and he was a part of the squad. We've both moved on. Ironically, ended up back with the same team uh, a few years later at the Boston Red Sox. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. I like Good your to hair. see you too, man. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> is, that a, is that a quarantine cut? It was a quarantine cut. I, I've always been curious about what I would look like with the full like razor shaved. Yeah. I've had a crew cut before, but I went with the razor shaved because that's like How a look. It? And it wasn't bad. I, yeah. I got some compliments and, and it was also like... You I've know, always looking... wanted to do it too with the beard. I think it's a cool look if you have a beard and a bald head, but I got plus with good hair. So my wife would never go for it. I appreciate like, you noticing. Yeah, I did. Um, so, Kev, we, we were talking before the show and we've talked uh, thousands of times about your journey. And, it, and of particular interest, you know, for some of the listeners who don't know your story, it, it's probably worth highlighting that even though right now you're coming off a career best season where you led the San Francisco Giants in almost every offensive category, and I say almost, it actually could have been every offensive category. This is true. 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 That's that's well. Congrats on that. Thank you. Thank you. I had a good year last year. Got yourself a vote in the uh, MVP thing as well. Yeah, that happened. <laughs> well, people, people, people um, try to give me a hard time about that. Like I, like I had a vote. Like I voted for myself. <laughs> you voted for yourself. I didn't. You're I not didn't, allowed to, are you? I didn't campaign for a vote. Someone just told me last day of the season. Hey, by the way, I have MVP vote. I'm going to give you one. I don't care if it's a 22nd place vote or a hundredth place vote. The fact that like you mentioned, I led my team in all offensive statistics last year. I played 161 games last year. He felt like I was extremely valuable to my team, which is the exact definition of an MVP is someone who is extremely valuable to their team. And he felt like I was, so he voted for me. I didn't think it was going to be something people were going to, you know, shit on me for, um, you know, on social media. But I was like, I didn't vote for myself. <laughs> you know, I think our team scored like 800 runs last year and I contributed to like 160 of them. So like my percentage of run production was like elite, elite last year, you know, 20 years down the road when my kids are older, I'll tell them I had an MVP vote and they won't know exactly what it means or why it happened, but it's something that's always going to be on the back of my baseball reference card. And, you know, I'll take that to the grave. It's better than not having one. Absolutely. So it's one more than 99.9% uh, .9 of the population will ever have. I was like, well, oh, that's a cool honor. Do I think I was – am I in the same breath as uh, Christian Yelich or Cody Bellinger last year? Of 
being the most valuable player in the league? No, but I think what I did considering joining a team four or five days into the season, not having spring training, uprooting my family, my entire life, my entire baseball life that I've known only being in Toronto, flying across country, you know, integrating myself to a new team, a new league. In the season. Never, yeah, in season with a small child um, and a wife, you know, I, I'm very proud of it. But at the same time, like all the other backlash that came from it, I'm like, it, this stuff doesn't bother me. I don't give really, at this point, I really give a shit what people think. Right. And that's probably going to be a bit of a theme of this episode. Am, I allowed, of, say, am I allowed to say shit, by the way? I, I think I said fuck a minute ago, so you're probably okay. okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, uh, it's probably going to be a, a, a theme of this episode based on your journey, which is unusual to say the least, right? You were voted in the MVP race. You, you had a career season, right? And this is not super remarkable if you don't know who Kevin Pilar is, but if you go back to when you were in high school looking for an opportunity to get into college and play college ball, tell us about that period of your life where you, you – like did you want to play big league at that point? Did you think it was uh, reasonable? It wasn't – high school, the dream wasn't to get to the major leagues. When I was a little kid, I thought I was going to play in the major leagues, the NFL, the NBA. I thought I was going to be a professional snowboarder, wakeboarder. And how tall are you, actually, just before we move on from that NBA point? How tall are you? Right currently? Yeah. Oh, okay, so like three, four, five years ago, I was six foot. But now that I've like established myself in the big leagues, I'm not afraid to admit I'm like 5'11". <laughs> so All right, good. Under, but like so at the time, to... I needed every little advantage or edge I could get. 5'11", maybe he's not tall enough. Six foot, he's a grown man, you know. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I just wanted to put that NBA dream into perspective there. Anyway, back to you. As- I was in, I was in my my little gym that I made in my house, working out with one of my buddies, and there's a couple other guys that I put a cage in my backyard. So I've been kind of running like a bed and breakfast. I have guys coming through the side yard. They like text me, "Hey, can we come at eight? Yeah, I'm not going to be out there, but go ahead and hit. I'll leave the stuff out there. And we were watching some of the guys walked out and. He's like, oh, yeah, I remember him. He played at University of Arizona. And I started thinking, like, I can't believe I didn't play Division One baseball. Can you believe that? And he's like, yeah, what, what, was the, you know, what was the deal, right? And I was like, I think I was good enough. I was the best player on my high school team. I'm from a very competitive area in Southern California with baseball. But so at some point, maybe like my junior year of high school, I made it after my junior high school. So going into my senior year, I think I told my parents, like, Hey, I think I really want to go to college and play baseball. And and you got that Cal State Dominguez, is that right? Cal State Dominguez Hills, yeah, Division Two, but it's also kind of a there's a there's more than just the surface level of why I went there. There there's a, there's a backstory to it too, which makes my journey even a little bit more uh, interesting, a little bit more crazy. So, all right, hit me if I haven't heard so this. My senior year, my senior year, have a good senior year, whatever. Um, not really getting a whole lot of offers, no offers. My family's taking a family trip. Once again, this is how I don't want to say not committed. I was, but just how naive I was back then. There would have been an opportunity probably for me to go play summer ball somewhere, a wood bat league, a scout ball league, area code tryout, all this sort of things. After graduating uh, as a senior in high school, my family's taking a, like two week vacation to Ireland. We're going to do the whole entire Ireland. We're going to, we're going to take this bus tour around, stay at different hotels. I'm, I'm, I'm going, right. We come back. It's like August. 
you're supposed to be enrolled in college, you know where you're going to go. And I'm like, what the hell am I going to do? Like, I haven't, no one's called, no schools have called me. Uh, my best friend from high school, he's going to this school, Cal State Dominguez Hills to be a pitcher. Ironically, my pitch, my head coach in high school took the pitching coach job there at that university. So August, call, the college semester starts probably the end of August. And I'm like, what the hell am I going to do? And they're like, well, why don't you come to Dominguez Hills? I'm like, where's that? They're like, Carson, California. Okay, look it up. It's an hour away from home. I'm like, okay, can I come down and visit the u- campus? Meet with the coach maybe. He's like, yeah, we'll do that. So I drive from my parents, meet with him. He sells me on the idea that this is a great place. You're getting an opportunity to play. I'm like, at this point, I don't really care. It's close enough to home. My parents can watch me play, and I'm in. Do you have any money for me to go there? No. Okay. Uh, so basically, I'm a recruited walk-on. That's a favor. So you didn't even have a scholarship no. to a Division two school? No. So I was a walk-on with kind of as a favor. My he had never, The coach had never seen me play, so – now it's just word of mouth. He's trusting his pitching coach, who's my high school coach. Trust me, this kid can play. He can play. Uh, he'll be he'll be good here. He'll be a good influence, whatever. So, and so, did you start in the outfield when you got there as a walk on? Yeah. So I showed up on campus. You know, you do your, I guess, your fall ball there. You're kind of sizing your guys up. There was a returning center fielder at the time, um, but I had a conversation with the head coach that. Maybe I was naive to believe. Maybe he was telling the truth. I guess, you know, the way my story unfolded, it ended up being the truth. But, you know, kind of like every coach is going to tell you, hey, it's a your incoming freshman. You have every opportunity to win the starting job, uh, even though he's a returning guy. So in my mind, that's all I needed to hear. Whether, like I said, he was telling the truth or that's just what you tell everyone. I was a naive 18-year-old kid, right? But me being naive was part of the reason that, you know, allowed me to get to where I got, you know, that year. I really felt like every day was an opportunity for me to go out there and prove myself that I should play as a freshman. I should be the center fielder. And we get fast forward that a little bit. I mean, I become a freshman All-American my first year. And I ended it seems up, to work out all right. I ended up, yeah, I ended up meeting my wife there. You know, everything I've been able to accomplish in, in some degree has been as a result of playing at that school. To some degree, I was still a little bit raw in baseball. So I was finally a full-time baseball player, and I felt like it was important for me to go out there and play every single day, learn what I can do, learn what I'm not very good at, and get in a game setting and play. Yeah. You used the word there a couple of times, naive, right? And it said probably in a negative context there, where like how stupid was I that I thought this? But let me ask you this. Do you think there's any benefit for you having gone from being this kid that no one even wanted to give a Division II scholarship to, to being where you are now, what I described as your last season, which was a career best, and you've been in the bigs now for, what, seven years, eight yeah, years? seven years. Yeah. So you've gone from baseball nothing to baseball something and then some. Does being a little bit naive along the way help in a sense? Like where you, yeah, where you don't I, listen? I, I, think there's, I think there's a, I mean, this is kind of your, your department. This is your field, but I feel like there is a synonym for naive that is spun in a little bit more positive light. I, I, the word's not coming to mind right now. Optimistic. Um, yeah. I guess optimistic would be a good word. Um, I mean, even deeper than that, I think it's just a self-belief. 
right. ultimately, right? Like I had this self-belief in myself that I knew that I was, no matter what people thought of me, I knew that I could play baseball. I knew that I was good at it. And I also knew that I was still a little bit raw because I knew I had committed my whole life. I was playing in, you know, little league with kids that were literally playing baseball year round, hitting lessons, fielding lessons, doing all this. I was still an all-star. I was still probably one of the best all-stars on my team. And I was doing it almost as like a hobby, like my seasonal sport that I was playing. So like, I always knew I was good at it. Yeah, yeah. And I finally committed myself full time that, oh my God, like I get to actually play baseball in the fall. Then I get to like play like fall games and then I have a real season and then I could go play summer ball and I'm playing year round. I'm in the cage all the time. I'm working out. Like I knew I was going to be better than people perceived for me. So it was never about what people were going to tell me. It was always about how I believed in myself and where that I could, where I could go. And I think in some degree, there was some external confirmation along the way of Mm -hmm. me being a freshman, all American, like, Oh shit. Like I am pretty good. Like I am dominating the level of, um, competition I'm playing at. I did get phone calls about some of these bigger schools that didn't offer me, wanted me to come play at their schools after my freshman year. So like I started getting some positive feedback, not that I really needed at that point because I was still so confident and optimistic about what I could do, but that's where I think my mind started to transition to shit. Maybe I can't play in major leagues. Right. I didn't necessarily, at that point, I didn't know the steps that you needed to take in order to get there. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a funny story when you get there, how once again, naive that I was once you got drafted, you know, I, I knew that there was levels. I didn't know how many levels there was. I didn't think that when I signed and I went to Florida for like physicals and then I got sent to short season that I was like eight steps away from getting in the big league. Right? <laughs> that's not, that's not an uncommon thing for, yeah. for new draftees though. Right? Once was- again, like I said, I didn't really have, I wasn't like in the, I wasn't really in the baseball community. I wasn't in the baseball world where I was playing scout ball and travel ball. And like, so back up my freshman year is when I started to believe that maybe I could play professional baseball, at least get drafted and see where it goes. That's kind of always how my attitude's been, I guess on a surface level would be, let's just get drafted and see where it goes. Even though deep down inside, I always knew like you're, if you get drafted, you're going to make it. You know, right. See, like I, so I, I want to pick up on something there because you've said that you've used this word. I, I pointed out naive before, but you said you've used the word no, as in like K N O W. I know this yeah. or I knew this, right? And it, and everything you've referenced besides that one right there was I knew that I hadn't played as much as anyone else. I knew that I was a hard worker. I knew this. I knew like you knew things about yourself that other people wouldn't, who were probably writing you off or not rating you, right? And you had a belief that if you add all them together then this is probably going to end up well for you. But that's the first time you've said, I knew if I, if I got drafted, I was going to make it. Where does that come from? If you haven't got any reference. Yeah. You know, I, I knew that's where you were going when you, when you stopped me that you were going to ask me, where do you think it comes from? And you know, the simple answer I think is it's just upbringing. I think it's uh, the way the work ethic and the way my parents taught me to just kind of work hard. And it was kind of that work hard attitude and see what happens and I, I kind of got a blend of both. It's like I said, on the service level, it's like, I'm just going to quietly put in the work and see what happens. Even though internally I have set these crazy expectations for myself or have the confidence that I know I'm going to, that I'm going to get it done. 
when things get a little bit tough in this industry, and I went through probably the hardest thing I ever went through this offseason with, like you mentioned, coming off a career year, being a free agent for the first. I was going to my last year ARB. I was supposed to go back to San Francisco. I was happy. I was had a pregnant wife. My wife's family was only an hour away. Like all the stars kind of aligned that I got traded there. I was going to have my second kid. It was just going to be, I live here in Arizona, spring training here. Like all the stars were aligning, right? Then I get non-tendered and I'm like, at first, great. I'm just coming off the best year of my career. Like who's not going to want my service? I'm about to cash in, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a month before spring training, I'll have a job. And that's why when you asked me to do this, I felt like it was a perfect thing for me to do, not just because of my story and my journey of how of where I came from to where I got gotten to, but kind of what I went through this off season was, you know, it was the first time where, and I know there's like a stigma around like mental health and stuff like that. And, um, but it was the first time I had like a, a mental breakdown and I actually had to, I had to seek someone that's, you know, been in my corner, someone close to me uh, at, at a, you know, level I never thought that I would ever get to being a professional athlete, uh, being someone that's, you know, pretty confident in his ability, uh, kind of goes with the flow a little bit. Um, you know, I just finally felt like things were so far out of my, my hand and out of my control that I lost control and I, I, I had a breakdown and I got help and it's easy for me to talk to because I, I think more people need to talk about it, which it's easy for people to talk about like our physical weaknesses that we have with a strength and conditioning coach or, you know, uh, a running coach that I don't run fast enough. It's easy to talk about these physical attributes, but all of a sudden there's this huge stigma about talking about a professional athlete and not having the mental strength or mental, you know, capability or to, to handle certain things that happen in this game. And I hit my breaking point and I, I needed to seek help and, um, obviously it did help, you know, it, it got me through it. It wasn't easy, but, um, you know, shortly after that, I got a job and, you know, things worked out and I ended up in a place where, you know, I was pretty happy, but, um, you know, I fought it for so long. I, I probably waited too long in, in some regards to actually seek the help that I needed. And you know, that we've never to that point where I've actually had a breakdown, but we've, we've had a lot of interactions in our time together too. And I learned early on that it's not a sign of weakness. It's just another, it's just another notch to put on our tool belt. And I think that's the cool thing in sports. And like you mentioned, even in the military now, there are people in your position available for people. And it is important to understand that, as much as we think of mental health as a weakness or something, our, our brain is a muscle. It, it does need the, the reps and the exercises. And sometimes you need to vent and sometimes you need tools in order to, you know, strengthen your mind. Over our years of working together, we spent a lot of time and I was never afraid to ask for help. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so I want to, I'll tell a little bit of the story, at least how I experienced it, right? Because I arrived at the Blue Jays, my first job in professional baseball. I've watched it as a kid, but you can hear from my accent, I'm not around, I'm not from around here. And so I wasn't super familiar with the game, but I was familiar enough with working with pro athletes and doing this sort of work, right? Talking about mental strength and getting stronger and, and a lot of exercise on that front. So doing psychology, but not so much in the clinical sense where someone's had a breakdown. There are other people who do that for the teams. I'm more on the strengthening side, but even that still, 
is problematic for some people to, to make the approach and, and to admit or open up and say, hey, what do you do? Like, can you help? I'm having this issue or that issue or even some people aren't having issues and they just want to talk about their game, right? And there are, there are two guys who I did a lot of work with in that year that you and I connected a lot. Um, one of them was a good friend of yours as well, Justin Smoke. And both of you came to work with me a lot during spring, but I'm, I want to know how you got to the point where you're like, yeah, I'm going to do that because you hadn't done that previously, right? Yeah, it wasn't something that was, um, you know, available. You know, it was, it was always someone in... I, I, it was always someone, uh, you know, I, I keep referring to him as name, but Sam, who was more there for, you know, like family off the field problems, but there was never someone there that you could just talk to about, Hey, why am I feeling this way right now? Why is my, why is my attention being taken from, you know, my performance? Um, and I'm thinking about things that should, should matter, you know, in the moment right now. And I think that's where we spent most of our time. And, you know, you come into the clubhouse and I remember, you know, maybe our first interaction, you kind of introduced yourself and you, uh, you know, basically said, you know, I'm here to help. And I told you the most important thing for you to do is gain the trust in guys. Don't force yourself on them. This is a new thing in the game that people want to know that they can trust you. Right. Cause mm-hmm. once again, there's a stigma around, uh, you know, people in your line of work and, you know, potentially sharing, in, especially in the baseball world, you're in, you're, your personal information is so important because we all it feel can like be used game, against you sometimes. Yeah, we feel like in this game, everything is used against us. There's always mm-hmm. a reason not to sign us, pay us, play us, whatever it might be, right? So, you know, and I consider myself a pretty cerebral and smart guy. So I'm like, and I like the idea of something new and gimmicks and ideas and stuff like that. So you come in and I'm like, well, what do you got for me? Like, well, what are you going to help me with? Right. And it wasn't at that point, it's spring training. I don't have any issues. I'm back with it. I'm comfortable. Right. Yeah. That's don't really matter, but it was more about sharpening my focus. It was about training my brain to do certain things. It was about challenging myself every single day, whether I'm in the cage or in BP to focus on the things that I want to focus to learn how to like visually get my eyes aligned, you know, to clear, basically clear the mechanism, how to come back to a spot on my bat to bring myself back to, you know, being centered, how to get myself in the box and understand that when this foot gets in the box, I'm now present in the, in the moment, right? Just a lot of different things that we did. And, you know, you fast forward through baseball and baseball at this level is so much about the ability to, you know, flush, rinse, forget, move on, not get caught up in statistics, not get caught up in an at-bat, not get caught up in a back call, being able to just bring yourself back to the very present moment, work on the task at hand, and try to do it to the best of your ability. And I think that's a lot of things that you know we talked about, we worked on a lot. And for me, it was just something, it was something new. I wasn't afraid to try. Um, I'm confident in my own skin. I'm not afraid to you admit when I'm wrong or I'm not afraid to voice my opinion when I'm opinionated about something. So for me, you know, seeking help never was something I was concerned about because I'm confident in my ability. And I always saw it as a, another notch to put on my tool belt. If I can, if I'm not as physically talented as the next person next to me, how am I going to compete? And I've been able to do it thus far by outworking and out competing and playing harder and, you know, for a lack of better terms, when, you know, shit's on the line, just, you know, 
lay your sack out there and just fucking get it done, you know? That's yeah. how I made my career is like, there's been times in my career when I haven't had the mental, you know, strength to like, I need to be here present in the moment and flush and forget. Like I've used some of that negative stuff in my career or like an over 17 where I'll just walk in the box basically and be like, fuck it. You got to get a hit. I don't care how you do it. Just get it done. And I've been able to will myself to stuff. So for me, I got to a point where that sort of, mindset and that sort of attitude and doing that every single day is a really hard thing to carry out over through 162 games a year being an everyday player where could I just simplify things a little bit and say who gives a shit about my last 15 at bats let's be let's worry about today's at bat not my next at bat but this at bat right now let's be able to get my brain from thinking about it. What if he throws a slider or what if I go for 16 to it's your first step out of the day, just focus on the task at hand and really just how to simplify things like not see things. So black and white I've, I've learned over the course of my career to judge at bats, not necessarily by the result of did I hit the ball hard or did I get a hit or did I get out? But was I freaking present in the box right. I there with a clear mind? Did I have a plan? And these are things that we all, spend a lot of time working on for sure and there were times that we would need to recheck and you would catch yourself you you mentioned that you're very honest and it was one of the things that really helped was when you weren't present when you had a bad day you were okay to say i had a bad day and then we could refocus and say okay well what, what are we doing tomorrow to make sure that doesn't happen again let me ask you this about i'll circle back to that in a second but you mentioned you know the work that we did and the fact that you were able to get more present you got better at it. Like your first half of that year was significantly better than stuff that were, that you'd had in the previous few years, right? You were flying. And then you fast forward to last year where you've had a great career season. Like a lot of the stuff that we work on and, and that we, you and I end up talking about and, and some of the basic tools are, are things that they don't really go away. Like you can strength train and it's been a minute since I've been in the gym. I did a lot of it when I was a young man, but it's none of it's left there now, right? But this sort of stuff, if you learn it, would you say that some of it has stuck with you the whole way through? And also, does it, does it start to impact other areas of your life? For sure, for sure. It definitely impacts other areas of my life. And, you know, once again, I, I think this whole idea of uh, when we're talking about the brain and mental health and stuff like that, it, the best way to compare it is to what you mentioned, it, the, the strength that you would gain in, in, in the gym is – you know, you're either going to continue to work out and strengthen it or at least maintain it. Or if you put it to a side for a while, you're going to lose all that strength. So it's just something I've just carried on throughout my career. And it might not necessarily be me and you interacting every single day, but it's me, you know, taking a lot of the stuff and applying it to my work, even when I'm hitting in the cage here. Like, okay, I took two bat swings, step out of the box, get your eyes off of something, come back to the moment, step in the box, be present in the moment, focus on what you need to focus on, what part of the ball am I looking at, challenge yourself to see the inside part of the ball, judge it between one and 10, how well do you see it, and then that's it. And I think the more that I do that, I've been able to self-maintenance myself a lot more, not to say that I've ever gotten to a point where I would ever get away from using someone like you um, in my life or you know, throughout a baseball season, but I think taking the ownership of it the same way that I've taken ownership of my body 
and I don't need a strength and conditioning coach to work out in the weight room. I've had to take it upon myself to, you know, make sure I'm staying sharp when it comes to things about my brain and find ways to challenge myself and use all the tools and consistently tell myself, you know, how important they are and hold myself accountable to them. Because at the end of the day, you know, anyone in trying to put it, get in my position, someone trying to get to the next level of whatever they're trying to do, it's all going to come back to holding yourself accountable. It's great to have, my strength and conditioning coach, or it's great to have you hold me accountable for things I want to do, but we're grown men, we're grown ups. At the end of the day, you got to hold yourself accountable. You know, there's not going to be someone to hold your hand every step of the way. There's, I've learned to not use you as, um, you know, a, a crutch. crutch. Yeah. I use you as a crutch, but I use you as a resource. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that happened over time. Yeah. You mentioned accountability there, and it's a really key word, particularly for anyone who's trying to achieve anything great over the long term, right? I can get fit in 30 days, and, and even that's tough. But if I'm trying to stay fit and run a triathlon by the end of the season, that's going to be really hard work, and accountability is going to be a key part to it. I gave a talk to the Stanford Emergency Doctors uh, a month or two ago, right? And someone actually hit me up afterwards and sent me an email and said, hey, I'm trying to do this. I'm, like, he's clearly really good. He's working at one of the best hospitals on the West Coast. He's an emergency doctor. He's probably got his whole life laid out in front of him. But he's like, I can't, I, I, I just don't seem to be able to keep myself accountable. And he asked me, like, what tricks do you have to be able to do that? Now, I have a couple of answers, but I'm interested, given that I just mentioned before, you were very good at being honest and, and, and upfront about I didn't do that when we were talking. And you've also said you've got to hold yourself accountable. Like, how do you make sure that happens? Because we're all human and sometimes we don't, we don't necessarily, we're not as good at that as we might want to be. Well, I, I think it's just something I've learned over the course of my career that, um, you know, in my line of work is I, in some degree, I work for myself. You know, obviously an owner, uh, general manager, employee of their team, but I'm only, I'm only as good you know, as, as I allow myself to be, I'm only, uh, can only play this game for so long. So I have to maximize every single, you know, day uh, of my career in order to stay in this game. So I've learned just along the way that I don't have room to not be accountable. I've just learned that, you know, the sad reality is that we are expendable, um, that we do have a shelf life. And if I want to play this game for as long as possible, my accountability had to start yesterday. I have to, you know, rely on myself to, you know, get everything that I want to get out of this game. And I think that maybe just goes, once again, goes back to just the way my parents brought me up, seeing my parents just work hard and, you know, be accountable for themselves. I think them being business owners, I think there's a kind of just a, a, a sense of accountability that you learn from watching them that they didn't have, uh, you know, an employer telling them what to do, everything that they've, accomplish in their life is something that they built on their own and um you know my dad you know this was a little bit later on in life that you know once his business was up and running a little bit but my dad was still working seven days a week but he always made time to come to our games he never missed our games we were always the number one priority but he also understood that it was his business that if he needed to work a sunday and get up at 6 a.m and go in and leave at one because me and my brother had a game at two. That's what he had to do. That's all I ever knew, you know, and even before that he talked about, 
you know, laying hardwood floors on his hands and knees, you know, working seven days a week because, you know, that's what needed to be done in order to, to get the business running. So I think part of it is just, you know, watching my parents and, and watch the success they've had. And I think it's, some of it might just be DNA. I think some of it's just inherent behavior of what I've been able to witness in, in my life. Um, yeah. And also I think just some role models that I've had growing up, like professional athletes that you hear them talk about, that sort of stuff and maybe you don't understand it. So you start to educate yourself on it a little bit more and then you're living it and you're like, Oh, it all makes kind of sense now. Um, yeah. And it was recently uh, father's day and you're a new ish father, right? I'm curious if you fast forward, let's say six, seven, eight years, nine years so that your, your kids are like at an age where you can really start to teach them stuff and you're, you're drilling stuff in them and they're getting more involved in the world. What would you say is like the thing that you would be doing to make sure that you help them be accountable and not necessarily that you keep them accountable, but you're going to help them learn those lessons? Well, I think there's some challenges that I'm going to face as a parent um, in in regards to that stuff because um, I kind of just understand my journey and and how difficult it was and how much I, I put into doing what I wanted to do. I think there'll be a conversation at some point with my daughter or son. They say, Hey dad, I want to do this. Right. And I think that's where I'll really have to sit them down and talk about the sacrifices, the accountability, the work ethic and stuff like that. If you really want to do it, I'm all for it. But if they want to just play sports, you know, when they're young and kind of like what I was doing, um, it's going to be hard for me not to like overcoach them in a sense that, Maybe they're just playing because they think it's fun. You know, for me, it's like, oh, if you're playing it, like you need to work hard at it. You need to do this. You know, obviously you want to teach your kids work ethic and stuff like that too, but that, it's definitely going to be a challenge for me for to kind of, kind of take a step back and, 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 you know, be a resource, but not be their crutch and give them more along the way. You're describing now. I watched on father's day. There was a interview of Will Smith. Who's a big, hero of mine, um, a role model, so to speak. And he spoke about him being a parent and having the same challenge because he's obviously a badass. He's achieved world domination in multiple areas. He's, and he said it was really hard for him, particularly with his daughter, not to just be like, yo, I got you a hit single. Now we're going to do it again. And you're on Jay-Z's record label and you're this and you're that, right? And then he said he had to shift his mentality around being a parent from I'm going to help them be what I want them to be or what they can be to a gardening approach where the seed has already decided what it's going to be. Like that seed is going to be what it's going to be. It doesn't, I don't make it into a flower. It's going to be a flower. My job as the gardener is to make sure the soil's good and water it and just make the environment as good as possible and it'll grow the right way. And what you're talking about there sounds a lot like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I will circle back to like what you mentioned about role models. Well, one of my biggest was Kobe Bryant. And, um, you know, I just think about, you know, his life his his, his, his second act of being a dad and just all the things he was doing with his daughter in basketball. And, you know, to some degree, you know, I think his daughter was probably just born with it being his, his daughter, but watching it, watching her dad be so successful at it, she had a love of the game he encouraged her passion of it, kind of like what you're saying. She was probably going to be a basketball player. That seed was already planted, but 
taking a step back and allowing her to be herself. And as she got to a certain age where she was like, Hey dad, I want more. Dad, can you push me? Um, then you just dive all in with your kid and you, you, you try to give them the world. You try to give them, you know, everything, all the education that you learned in this game and you know what it takes. So I think that's going to be the biggest challenge as a parent is, you know, taking a back seat and um, just allowing them to be kids and doing what they want to do. But when the time's right and they ask for it to, to be that resource and, and to be, go all in, as you said, go all in, yeah. there's some parallels there. Now I didn't think that we would get into talking parenting in this uh, interview, but I'm really glad it's gone here. Cause as you're talking about that, I'm reminded of some of our early chats sitting in a dugout or a locker room or standing in the outfield talking about your approach to hitting which was a lot about waiting until you see what you want and then going for it, right? It wasn't like I'm going to force myself to get a hit on this exact pitch. It was an element of like I can't dictate what he gives me and whether it's going to be the right thing, but when the right thing turns up, I'm on it. Do you, do you oh, see yeah. the parallels there? That, I mean, that, that's, a core, that's a, it's a parallel for life too. That's why baseball is such a great game because there is so many parallels to life and – you know, just because I want a fastball doesn't mean I'm going to get a fastball. Just because I wanted to play at UCLA doesn't mean it was going to happen. Sometimes, you know, we get curveballs thrown in, in our life and you either choose to swing at them or you choose to let them go. And, uh, you know, sometimes you chase them, sometimes you don't chase them. You know, sometimes you strike out, sometimes you don't. Um, you know, that's why baseball is so great is the, the parallels to life. And, you know, I, I think – the great thing, like you mentioned too, is whether it's in life or baseball, it's almost, I don't want to say it's to sit back and hide in the, the woods and pounce when the opportunity presents it, but it's stay ready when it, when it shows up, don't, don't miss your opportunity. And I think that's kind of been the thing I've been most proud of in my baseball career is that's kind of the mentality that I've had was you're an underdog. No one expects anything from you but you expect the world of yourself. We can let that be known in a very never arrogant or cocky way, but a very just, just confident way, but not even carry myself with this hubris or, or confidence, have this internal belief in myself and this work ethic that matches it. Like I'm not going to walk around the clubhouse and tell people, Hey, I'm going to get to the big leagues. I already know that inside me that it's going to happen because I believe it and I know I'm going to work hard or I'm going to die trying, but I'm going to allow my work to show people that, Oh, he does believe in himself. Why would he be in the cage four hours after the game hitting if he didn't want to get there or he doesn't believe in himself or why is he playing so hard? You know, if this is just for fun, like it was never, it was never about fun for me. It was the moment I signed, it was get to the big leagues, prove everyone wrong, fuck everyone. And, do it because it's not an easy thing to do. It's you chose to go down a path that is very difficult and no one's giving you any handouts along the way, but you know that if you have a Jersey and a team and a field to plan, you got an opportunity to change people's perspective and prove everyone wrong. And that's kind of what that attitude that I had, um, you know, up until a couple of years ago. And it's not, a, it was something I had to, relearn, you know, I had this FU chip on my shoulder mentality that got me to the big leagues and kept me into the big leagues. Then you establish yourself in the big leagues. And naturally that goes away because no one gives a crap about your story anymore. You made it, you proved it. 
your priorities change at that point. It's not about how I got there and that I was able to stay there. It was how do I, how do I, I'm established as a major league baseball player and I can do what I've been doing and I can make a nice career. Now I want more. I give you mm-hmm. games for more. I didn't want to just be an everyday center fielder, starting center fielder for the Toronto Blue Jays. I wanted to be an all-star. I wanted to be a gold glove winner. I wanted to be the face of a franchise. And those are all things that never happened, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to stop trying to do, do them. Right. You mentioned uh, a second ago that you chose to do something difficult, right, which was just to even make it there in the first place and to stay there. But what you've described there is continuously choosing to do something different, difficult and specifically in relation to you saying, you know, it's not like hiding in the woods and then pouncing. It's being able to stand in the fire, stand in the hitter's box, so to speak, and it's uncomfortable, right? You don't ever get up there and feel like, oh, this is great. I feel like I'm relaxing on the beach. That's uncomfortable and being able to stand in the discomfort with, with stillness and presence and then when the thing turns up, you go, you're not hiding. You're just standing in an uncomfortable Yeah, I think spot. that's the big thing. It's not about hiding because it, w- it would have been easy for me to – hide for a lack of better terms when when I signed and I wasn't playing every single day in short season as a 22 year old when everyone else on my team was 18 you know it was just put your head down go to work and be ready for when your opportunity presents I don't know when it's coming I don't know when they're going to write my name in the lineup card but I promise you I'm going to be ready for it and that doesn't mean I was going to go out and get four hits every single time I was going to be in the lineup, but I was going to be prepared to give the best at bat I can give to go out, run the bases hard, play with my hair on fire and just earn the respect of my coaches that I learned. I kind of learned this early on in, in professional baseball when, you know, maybe it was a lot of it was to do with the chip on my shoulder. A lot of it was, you know, me trying to prove the world wrong. But I also understood that I was playing with a lot of younger guys, some of these guys that signed for, you know, a lot of money, and they showed up to the par, you know, with certain attitudes, or they just didn't have this, uh, you know, respect for authority, or I think organizations and coaches are smart enough to understand people that they can rely on. And it's not me kissing ass, it was just, it was a guy who was going to show up on time. If there was a dress code, I was going to follow the dress code. Um, a guy that was going to get his work in. A guy that wasn't going to have to be told to go shag fly balls during BP. I think over the course of time, that sort of stuff just gave me a leg up where, oh, let's write a lineup card. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to get from Jimmy. I don't know what I'm going to get from Tommy. But, oh, if we put Kevin in there, at the very least, we know he's going to give us good at-bats. He's going to play hard. So that kind of just opened the opportunity for me to get more at bats, more playing time, and then really just showcase my talent. Yeah. And that was one of the things that we would talk about often is having a set of non-negotiables where it's like, regardless of how I feel, regardless of whether the coach rates me or not, what the game's given me, like the game doesn't give a shit how you feel. It cares about what you do and what you give. And that's, you're able to turn up consistently and say, here's what I do. And here's what I'm going to do regardless of what's going on. And I think that's a, for you, I don't know if I've ever said this direct to you, actually, because we've worked together so long. That's an admirable trait, though. Yeah, I wanted to touch on this because i got to go here soon. My, my little one's got swim lessons here soon. But right. when, when we talked about doing this, I, there was you know, something I wanted – there was a couple of things I wanted to mention, um, you know, in regards to this topic. But, you know, one of which kind of touching on one of the topics I mentioned about how my my perspective and my my, my – Thing, 
you know, things changed from being a guy that had to prove everything wrong to let's just, you know, set the bar really high for myself and try to reach these, you know, maybe unrealistic goals to somewhere where I'm at right now as a, you know, seven year veteran where I don't really care about the things that people say about me on Twitter. I'm not out there trying to, to perform to anyone else's expectations, but my own, but I still fight the anxieties and pressures, but these are only the pressures that I put on myself because this is how I take care of my family and those are never going to go away. And I think to some degree, I think, you know, if you don't have those feelings, then either you're not human or, or you, you, don't know, care. you just don't care. So, you know, for, like you said, the, the people that are going to be listening to this, whether you're a 22 year old trying to, you know, move up in the ranks of the military, you're a, a businessman trying to, you know, do the best for his family. I think that's something that people need to understand that these are things that just never go away. It's just, we learn how to, deal with them, maybe set them aside because I still feel the anxiety and pressure every single day I step on the field because one, I'm trying to reach these potentially unreachable goals that I've set for myself. And I think me and you have talked about rather than setting a a bar, we set a range of goals. That way we don't feel like we've never reached our goal. If we, you know, reach the very bottom, we still know we have a top, there's more to gain, but at least we have some, you know, we, 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 we feel accomplished that we reach something. So I think that's something I learned from you is setting a range of goals. Like every year I say, Hey, I want to hit between, you know, 15 and 45 home runs. Right. And if last year I hit 20, so like, I feel accomplished. Like, yeah, I reached my goal, but shit, I didn't reach my ultimate goal. So let's continue to work harder. Right. But yeah. I think it's just important that people would understand that it's good for me to talk to someone like you because I, all the, the, the stress, stress and anxiety that I put on myself now in my career is not driven by external stuff. I could get, get two fucks if I strike out three times in a game because it's baseball and it's really freaking hard to do. And usually the guy on the mound is probably better than I am. <laughs> and that shit's going to happen. The pressure I put on myself is I just want to be able to play this game as long as I can. I want to perform at a high level. I want my family to be proud of me. Um, I carry an army of people that root for me being one of the only kids to make it out of my area to the big leagues. And it's, it's fun. You know, it's, it's an honor. It's, It's an honor to be that guy, but there are some stresses and anxieties that come with it because you do feel like there's so many people that, um, you know, almost living and dying with, all your successes and your failures in this game. And I've gotten better at saying, I don't give a shit even about my parents. Like if I strike out three times and my dad's going to call me and be like, Oh, what a tough day at the yard. Be like, yeah, you can only imagine try stepping in my shoes, you know, <laughs> like stop really trying to like, li- like please people, but really just be satisfied with myself and take care of my family. And I think trying to dumb it down to the simplest terms of what we've kind of mentioned is, you're not always going to get the results, but I think if you can, you know, focus on the things that you can control, which are like being able to focus in on what you want to focus on have a plan, have a set goal. You know, did I do all my prep work the day before, whether it was physically, mentally video, did I check all those boxes? And sometimes it's just not going to go your way. Sometimes you're going to make out. Sometimes you're going to go through these extended periods of times where you're not performing uh, at the level that you want to perform at. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't have put it better myself, man. You're and you're a living. You 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 walk the talk. And I I'll ask just, you uh, one I'll last. I'll tell you a oh. funny, quick, funny story too. Like because the idea of like this whole stigma around like it's okay to ask for help and stuff, but um, I started like it, it started happening, and some of my friends now that I play with the Giants and some of the guys that are closer to me like will text me now too. And there'd be times after really tough games, rather than me like, you know, throwing shit or cussing or stuff, I would guys would just see me in my locker. I'd be sitting there, and they'd be like, "What's wrong?" And I'd be like, "I'm just sad." <laughs> like so people, like it's just it's kind of like a I wouldn't say it's a joke, but it was like my way of like maybe even dumbing it down. The fact that we are human beings and we do yeah. get emotional over this game, and it's not like. You know, I wasn't having a, a, a mental breakdown because I went over four, but like I'm a human being and it's okay to be sad. So like it started as a joke and then people would start to like, someone would strike out in a big situation that comes sit next to me in the dugout instead of like losing their shit. You just, they would just look at me and be like, you know what? I'm sad. I'd be like, it's okay to be sad. Like, <laughs> like we're human. One last question for you, man. I know you got to go. You mentioned having uh, role models. When you think about your time in baseball, it's been a long trip so far and hopefully many more years to come, and you think of toughness, who's the, who's the player or coach that pops into your mind where you're like, they are the toughest motherfucker because – and why? Why do they stand out from well, other people? Uh, I mean, toughness? I, I've, I've been fortunate to play with a lot of really good players, and, you know, obviously a lot of those guys are super talented, but the, the one thing that I always admired about some of these guys, and I'll, I'll, I'll just name a couple of them um, – Donaldson and Edwin and Carnacion come to mind is they were just always so confident in their ability. And Josh did it in a different way than Eddie. Josh would come in and tell everyone like, you know, I'm, I'm fucking due. I'm one swing away from getting out of this or don't miss this at bat today. Right. And even if he struck out, he'd come back with the same attitude. Like, Oh, I just missed it. Like I'm going deep the next at bat. And more times than not, like, it might have not been that at bat or that game, but like it'd be three days later and be like, holy shit, he called it, right? And it was just this self-belief he had in himself. And then someone like Edwin Encarnacion just was always so just even keel that you could never tell when he was, you know, going really good or really bad. He just believed in himself. And it was a very quiet belief. He just put his head down. He'd go do his video work. He'd go to the cage. He'd take his BP. He'd do his homework. And you just never know. And I think my experience of playing with really, really good players, like Hall of Fame caliber baseball players, you know, players of my skill level that are right in the middle is I've gotten better over my course of my career, but I look back on the early years of my career and I was a damn roller coaster. And I never, and I always understood that I would never get too high. Even when I was successful, I, I learned to, I even later in my career, I've learned to enjoy it more because this game is so hard and you don't have that much success all the time when you do something great to enjoy it. People would always be like, Oh, you made, you brought that Homer and you're stoic. I'm like, why well, I, I expect to do it. That's my job. I always felt like I'm just doing my job. I'm just doing my job later in my career. I've learned to enjoy it because I'm not going to be able to do it forever, mm -hmm. but I never got too high because I always felt like baseball had a way of humbling you really quick, but it was hard for me not to get so low. You know, I would, I would, go over a series and I'd be walking home and I'd be like, am I ever going to get a fucking hit? I'm going to quit. I fucking hate baseball. I'm taught my wife's talking me off the edge. Let's <laughs> pack my shit up and go home. I stink. You know, I've gotten better at that, but I've learned over the course of watching the really good guys in their career is nothing phases them. 
They're just, whether you're very openly confident like a Donaldson or you're a very quiet, confident person like Edwin Encarnacion, the reason they're so good is they're just so damn confident in themselves and they understand that baseball is so cynical. There's ups and downs that um, you just got to kind of ride the wave. And I've just ride learned the course of my career to just enjoy, like not get overconfident and like, you know, swing my shirt around my head when I hit a walk off Homer or do something great, but like just really sit back and just be ha- like happy. You know, yeah. I, had, I had some really good moments last year with San Francisco and it was my first time in my life. I had to drive home and I would drive home 30 minutes and I talked to my family and some friends and stuff. And there'd be a lot of times I'd just sit there in my car, whether I had a really bad game and I'd be like, you know what? It's okay. I'm going to get them tomorrow. And there'd be times where I'd get out in on the highway and there'd be no one on there and I'd be hitting my horn like, Fuck yeah, that was awesome. That was so much fun today. Like, you know, but then you wake up in the morning and you just have to have this, you just have to have this, you know, and I kind of got it from Kobe, that Mamba mentality, like enjoy it. But then tomorrow's a new day. Tomorrow's a mystery. You don't know what's going to happen. Like just turn the page and it's good to kind of ride the momentum of something good into the field, but don't let it get, you know, bigger than yourself. Or that's equally as important as when you're not going well to not, you know, drag your head into the field. And that's yeah, you, like the parallel to life too. For sure. You said ride the wave. There's a saying that I often use with guys that you can't stop the waves, but you can learn how to surf. Yeah. And, and that means like when things are good, you can be up there. And when they're not, and you're down in the bottom, we just got to paddle and you'll get another wave soon enough. I love so. it. That's where I'm about to go. I'm about to go ride the waves in this pool for swim lessons. <laughs> All right, man. Well, enjoy that time with your family. I uh, look forward to baseball getting back soon. I and I'll see you, see you up in Fenway. All right. See you soon. Appreciate it. All right, brother. You. Thank you. So why is it got to be so yeah. uh, Excellent. Busting with the best of them. Simply impressive. No worry and stressing. Uh, I'm getting my right now. Put your shades on and let me show you how. Yeah.